The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at tntradio.live. This is the Patrick Henningsen Show on TNT Radio. Welcome back, folks. Welcome back. We're in the second hour of this live broadcast. Thank you for rejoining us here at TNT Today's News Talk, a great segment with our guest David Miller before the break. Uh, very informative, and uh, David's uh, really, I think, one of the leaders right now in exposing propaganda. The show he does with Chris Williamson, uh, Palestine Declassified, is excellent. Um, they've been, like, literally blow for blow with the Israeli uh, propaganda machine from the beginning on October 7th. It's been uh, almost entertaining to watch them actually get a step ahead of the Israelis on that program. But uh, two brilliant uh, analysts as well, uh, both Chris and David. You want to follow David Miller at tracking underscore power uh, at X Twitter. We've got those links on our, uh, our social media uh, feed, our show post at 21Wire. We'll post those in the TNT chat uh, community uh, as well. Now, uh, I want to talk about a story we picked up um, in the first hour. We're going to be joined in a few minutes uh, by uh, Zachary Foster, uh, and who's an academic who's done some amazing work. I mean, his social media feed is amazing. Uh, the threads that he constructs are very informative, breaks it down in a way that I don't think anybody else is doing right now. So we'll be talking to him about what's happening in the international system with this genocide convention, the case the implications uh, for Israel, for the people aiding and abetting Israel uh, in this war crime, all of that and more. But um, on the BRICS conversation and the multipolar world conversation, this is a something you're hearing a lot more these days, the multipolar world. What is that? Well, this is exactly what we're talking about here. When the head of the Chinese military, Dong Jun, he has said that China is going to back Russia on the Ukraine issue. This is one of the first formal statements we've seen on this. It seems to be somewhat categorical. And it has to do with Taiwan. Uh, as the United States is putting pressure on China, arming Taiwan, the U.S., it's no secret anyway that they really want to see a war uh, break out over Taiwan. That's not a surprise for anybody who's been following this issue closely. But let's look at uh, what they're actually saying there. The head of Chinese defense, Dong Jun, uh, he's saying, he spoke to uh, Sergei uh, Shuigu, uh, who's his counterpart uh, on the Russian side on this, about strategic oper uh, cooperation between Moscow uh, and Beijing. And he's saying that this is a pillar of maintaining peace around the globe, end of quote. Uh, in his first public appearance since his appointment at the end of the year, and here's what he said, we have we have supported you, the Russians, on the Ukrainian issue, despite the fact that the US and the EU continue to put pressure on the Chinese side, says uh, Dong, the head of Chinese defense there. And he's promising that Beijing will not change or abandon or uh, establish policies uh, that are gonna change course over this. So, and, and even under the threat of more sanctions. So that's an important point. Did you hear that last bit? Even under the threat of sanctions, China's saying that if the US th threatens to sanction them uh, over anything uh, relating to, is, I guess, Taiwan or Ukraine, specifically probably referring to Ukraine here, that's not going to change their policy in support of Russia as a strategic partner. There you go, ladies and gentlemen. The U.S. has done what uh, so few have been able to do in history, which was to drive the Russians and the Chinese so closely together. They now have a strategic partnership. Well done, Washington. 
Well done, London. Good job. And Brussels, Jan Stoltenberg, you've played your part too. Uh, so you have just basically flipped Zbigny Brzezinski's uh, grand chessboard. Basically, this is what you've done since uh, February 2022 uh, with the whole Ukrainian project. Uh, it really started, uh, well, this this round anyway, started uh, in, in 2014 with the overthrow of the Ukrainian government by the United States uh, in the Maidan, the U.S. and the EU together with the British, of course, overthrowing the Ukrainian government. Everybody knows that was a clandestine operation. It's beyond debate at this point, yet there's still people claiming that it wasn't. Anyway, because of that uh, series of events that started uh, there in 2014, this is what you get at the end. So this means that uh, imperialist machinations of Washington and London to somehow wrestle control of Central Asia. I mean, they had it, didn't they? In Afghanistan, they occupied Iraq and half a million troops running around the Middle East at one point from different countries. Where are they now? You got, you got these ragtag bases illegally set up in Syria. Uh, you've got sort of a few uh, compounds and bases in Iraq. The Iraqis have told you to leave Washington has said, we're not leaving till we want to leave. This is our country, not yours. That's the arrogance of Washington. Basically saying that, of course, I'm heavily paraphrasing. Um, look, at the same time, China uh, is saying this. They're saying they feel that there's strong support from, Ru from the Russian side on the Taiwan issue. Okay, mark that. As well as on other topics of our key interest, says the Chinese head of defense. As the two most important and key forces in the world, we we should decisively respond to global challenges. We, the Chinese and the Russians, should decisively respond. Okay? Now, that doesn't mean that they're going to be going around the world gallivanting all over the place, okay? Uh, putting down and uh, doing nation-building projects, putting governments down the way the United States have done and the British have done. Uh, over the last how many decades, okay? That, but that does mean that does mean that within their sphere of influence, okay, within the Eurasian sphere, within that heartland, the Eurasian heartland, that they will move decisively uh, in their mutual interests and respond to global challenges. okay? That's what that means. And if that's the case, if this is the way it's going to be, if this is the way it's going to be for uh, if this is the way it's going to be, then I'm, I'm afraid that things have changed uh, dramatically on the international scene. So uh, make a note in Washington. You're going to have to recalibrate your policies now uh, or wait till the next election. But by that time, you're going to be even worse off than you are now. Let's take a break right now with TNT, today's news talk. And on the other side, we'll connect our guest, Zachary Foster, to talk about the ICJ ruling, the case against Israel, oh, genocide, and much, much more. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We'll be right back. TNT's Timothy Shea. The race is essentially now... Vivek Ramaswamy and Nikki Haley. Ron disappoints that this will be pulling his hat from the ring next. And the issue, as always, is why is the Nikki taking so much of the left's money? Well, maybe this will give you a little insight. She credits Hillary Clinton with inspiring her to enter politics, having attended a women's leadership summit at which Hillary spoke. And Nikki said, and I quote, I then had to decide whether I was a Republican or Democrat. 
See, Nikki has no core beliefs other than doing whatever her globalist masters, paymasters, want her to say. The Reckoning with Timothy Shea on today's News Talk TNT. A better business tip from TNT Radio. The benefits of advertising on today's News Talk TNT Radio should be clear to businesses of any shape or size. It can be accessed anywhere, anytime, by anybody and is the perfect way to build brand awareness and stimulate digital activity. If you'd like more information about advertising on TNT Radio, simply fill out your details on our contact page and we'll be in touch. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Without CO2, the world stops breathing. CO2 sustains all life on Earth. Government, the WEF, and the elite believe humans are the carbon they really want to be rid of. Today's News Talk, TNT Radio. Welcome back. Welcome back to TNT Today's News Talk. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. We're in hour number two of this live broadcast. And just to kind of great segue from our previous conversation with David Miller uh, from the United Kingdom, uh, another academic, let's bring on to the program uh, Zachary Foster. Uh, he's also an academic and he has done incredible work, especially since uh, October 7th on this issue of Gaza and what's happening. Do follow him on X Twitter. Zach Foster. We got him tagged on our show post at 21 Wire. Just click on that and you can follow him. His threads are absolutely essential on a lot of these issues. There's a wealth of knowledge there and it's going to help a lot of you guys understand the bigger picture. Uh, Zachary, thank you for joining us on the program. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, Zachary, I mean, uh, I, I I often point people to your uh, threads uh, that you're posting on on X because you really go into really great detail and just kind of a full analysis, really, on on some of these points that that tend to pop up. Um, and and one of them is I want to discuss today. I mean, firstly, uh, you've just been done amazing work on this uh, in the last last couple of months but uh th th we're in a kind of a, a difficult stage right now where people are trying to get their head around what has just happened with the international courts of justice and i see a lot i see two camps forming uh within the kind of pro-palestinian conversation which is oh this is great uh great south africa's done an amazing thing here uh israel's been put in the dock they've been condemned uh, and now, you know, it's, it's, it's a new phase going forward. And then there's another, uh, camp within the pro-Palestinian conversation saying, oh, this is meaningless. Nothing's going to happen. Israel's not going to abide by any threats, uh, from any of these institutions. It's just going to carry on, uh, business as usual. Um, uh, and t tell us what your thoughts are on this. What is the path forward now that this has been established? this interim ruling, um, provisional ruling uh, by, by The Hague. What are your thoughts on this? Look, the ICJ ruled that, what they ruled what experts have been telling us for months, which is that uh, the Israeli government and the Israeli military are quite likely carrying out a genocide. That is to say that <clears throat> they are targeting members of a group as such, as, as Palestinians, uh, they are killing members of the group. Um, they are making conditions uh, 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 of life impossible in Gaza. Um, there is intent. We've heard the statements made by the prime minister himself, where he likened the enemy to Amalek, the biblical people uh, uh, that the Israelites were commanded to carry out a genocide against. Um, so, so, and the ICJ said, 
that Israel is required to take, quote, all measures within its power, not some measures uh, within its power, all measures within its power to prevent acts of genocide, specifically uh, those acts we just talked about. And since Israel uh, uh, was ordered to uh, uh, to carry out, uh, to take all measures within its power to prevent acts of genocide, it's killed more than 600 Palestinians in the past four days. Now what? It's been five, six days. It's killed, probably killed more than 1,000 Palestinians since it was ordered to stop killing Palestinians. So on the one hand, it is correct to say that, th th that this ICJ ruling was unlikely to uh, uh, compel Israel to stop killing Palestinians in Gaza. At the same time, it is also the case that human rights activists, uh, th th that journalists, uh, that analysts um, who care about uh, international law now have a new weapon in their arsenal, right? Um, and that weapon is a, 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 the, the court ruling of the, of the world's highest court, um, which is an incredible victory. Um, so I think on the one hand, it would have been foolish to assume that uh, the world's court could compel Israel uh, through its words and through its statements to stop uh, acts of genocide. At the same time, I think it is undeniably the case that those of us who care deeply about preventing uh, a genocide now have a new tool in our toolkit to advocate on behalf of the Palestinian people. Yeah, so it's 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 really pro it's provided a new platform, I think, uh, from which, which to launch uh, not just advocacy, uh, but uh, also other legal challenges, uh, be they in the domestic, domestically in individual countries, there's civil cases, all sorts of things that are actually happening already. You can see in the United States, uh, there's already a case uh, brought against, I believe, the Biden administration uh, from a Palestinian solidarity organization. Um, and they just have that little bit of extra support, that little bit extra legal confidence uh, behind them. Now, going forward, do you see this making its way through the UN Security Council, the UN General Assembly. Uh, what do you think the next steps are uh, coming up? I think that's exactly right. I think the next uh, place that this court, uh, court case will go will be to the UN Security Council, uh, where we can expect the United States to veto any resolution uh, ordering Israel to stop acts uh, of genocide. If it is uh, rejected, as we expect it will be, then it will go to the General Assembly. Uh, and it is quite likely that General Assembly will vote overwhelmingly in support of the Palestinian people. Um, there will obviously be a handful of countries, the United States, uh, the Federated States of Micronesia, um, Marshall Islands. Uh, <laughs> there will be, Israel will have its uh, a circus of support from uh, countries that uh, are basically United States satellites. Um, it will maybe have support in the UK and Germany, but beyond a handful of uh, uh, countries um, that we just mentioned, it, it is very clear that the overwhelming majority uh, of countries in the world are opposed to what Israel is doing. And so there will be a resounding uh, a vote in the United uh, Nations General Assembly in, uh, in the coming weeks and months that, uh, to, to call on Israel to end acts of genocide. Yeah, yeah, I, I know about that coalition of the willing that you're talking about there. You probably left out the uh, the Seychelles and the uh, the Faroe Islands <laughs> there as well. Um, no, I, I'm I'm kidding, but I'm not. Um, so w once that happens, th then if 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 a vote is made under the uh, Unite for Peace resolution in the General Assembly, that can't be vetoed. Uh, and then a number of things could happen. Sanctions could be recommended. What other possible uh, things could happen to restrain or, you know, isolate Israel uh, politically? Is there any other measures that can be brought to bear? I think 
ultimately, this is all on us. It's on civil society actors. Uh, it's on journalists. It, it, it's on individuals uh, to apply pressure on their own institutions, on their universities, on their state and local governments, on their churches, on their synagogues, in their mosques. It's upon us to use this decision, which is unequivocally stating that Israel needs to stop acts of genocide, meaning it has been carrying out acts of genocide. You don't order a country to stop doing something it's not doing, right? In, implicit in, in the court ruling is that Israel quite likely has been carrying out these acts of genocide. Of course, the court is not the final verdict. The court ruling is not the final verdict. The court has said, look, this is a preliminary hearing. Uh, this is a first glance. There will be years and years of court hearings uh, 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 that will eventually arrive at a final verdict. But in the meantime, it is upon all of us uh, to take this court ruling and use it in our advocacy efforts in, in, in insisting that our universities divest and uh, from companies that are profiting off Israeli occupation, apartheid, and now genocide. It is a, a, a incumbent upon uh, individual states now. They can now take this order and, and issue warrants uh, for uh, uh, warrants of arrest, if these uh, Israeli leaders, if the Israeli defense uh, uh, minister, if the Israeli prime minister, uh, if the Israeli foreign minister, if the Israeli president, if these individuals uh, uh, try to travel to a country that is party uh, to the genocide convention of 1948, it is incumbent upon leaders to pr to pursue legal action against these individuals who are having uh, committed the, the crime of genocide. So, um, it, you know, I, I think at this point, we have what we need. Activists have what we need. Journalists have what we need. States have what we need. Now it's time to act. That's an important point you bring up there because I remember when uh, after the Pinochet regime uh, fell in Chile, um, the pers pursuing Augusta Pinochet internationally, that continued for decades uh, after the fact um, to the point where I think at one point he was sort of uh, unable to enter a number of countries, was even uh, uh, held uh, at one point, had to be uh, kept in Britain for a while um, because he wasn't able to go to other places. I think Spain, there might have been a warrant for him there as well. So that was decades after the fact. So this story, Zachary, it could go on for years, in fact, decades, uh, because there's no, I don't think there's a statute of limitations on any of this. Um, so we could be talking about this. This could be an issue for Israel. This really isolates um, the Israeli political leadership, potentially puts them kind of under threat. I mean, this is, that's potentially real external pressure there that could reshape certain political uh positions i think with with some of these hardliners in israel um going forward uh, do, how, how do you think this is going to shape israeli politics um in the short term though um do you do you see do you see any uh major pivoting going on here uh just for survival reasons uh from tel aviv because i don't think the uh, the pressure hasn't really hit yet i think this is coming though there's no question that uh, Israelis are somewhat immune from external pressure, right? This isn't the first time uh, in, uh, we, we, we've seen an international legal ruling that has come down hard on Israel. Recall that back in, was it 2005, we had a ruling that said the wall is illegal. It is built on occupied territory and needs to be dismantled. Israel obviously ignored that uh, ICJ ruling. Um, Israel ignored all of the Human Rights Watch reports, uh, the Amnesty International reports, the UN reports that, that said Israel is carrying out the crime of apartheid in the West Bank, uh, that Israel is using starvation as a weapon of war, 
which is a, a crime against humanity in the Gaza Strip. So this is not new. Israel dismisses and ignores uh, international uh, legal hearings, Human Rights Watch reports, uh, UN findings. So there's nothing new about this. But I think uh, given the magnitude of uh, of what uh, of the catastrophe that is happening right now in Gaza, that the, the number of people that are literally starving to death as you and I have this conversation right now, we're talking about an entire population dehydrating, starving, uh, 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 rampant diseases are now spreading, uh, living in open air shelters, sleeping on the streets. Um, it's it's just truly ungodly conditions now being faced. And 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 there's no I think no sane person is can look at that and say um, and, and, and turn away and say, wow, this ought to continue going. I think the entire civilized world has now arrived at the view, perhaps save for a couple of, uh, 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 of political leaders in the United States, Germany, and the UK, but the entire civilized world is horrified at what they're seeing. And I do think that public opinion will play a bigger role in the future. I think increasingly um, Israelis will be shunned. You know, they, they will be shunned from civilized uh, spaces. They're carrying out what the World Court declared to be a probable genocide. They will not. I do not think states, governments, uh, nonprofit organizations, universities, churches, synagogues, mosques. It's not business as usual. This changes everything. I I, yeah, and I remember when I when I left uh, university uh, in the early nineties uh, when I was traveling, uh, you know, on the on the road, as it were, on the, around the world. I encountered a lot of South Africans, and it was right after sort of the fall of the apartheid regime. And I remember there was a bit of a um, uh, an, an uncomfortable um, uh, conversation that one had to have with so, uh, young South Africans at that time, mostly white South Africans traveling, as you can imagine. Um, but uh, so there was a little bit of a political stigma there at least in the short term. Um, and I think they, they resolved that after the sort of Truth and Reconciliation Commission hearings and things like that. And South Africa kind of opened up more and just sort of reintegrated itself into the global community. Uh, but you have the same uh, situation. There's a lot of um, young Israelis traveling. Um, there's Israeli businesses. Uh, you have Israeli politicians doing deals around the world. So that's a very internationalized uh, society, uh, uh, the state of Israel. And and in politically and in economically too. So for a very small country, any change in that harmony can have a serious impact, I think, uh, uh, economically and also politically and socially. So I think there's 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 a lot to come there, especially in the tech sector and the defense sector, just for starters, Zachary. I mean, that, that that's huge because they're totally integrated with the West. But uh, your thoughts on any of that? Look, I think you're correct to say that for the most part, Israelis have not faced consequences. Um, there has been no accountability for the war crimes that they've committed to date. But I do think that that will begin to change. It, it won't happen overnight. It will be slow, like every civil rights struggle, like every uh, human rights struggle. Uh, the change will not happen overnight. Um, I mean, just think of how many years it took the, uh, for the BDS movement, which was launched in 2005. How many years has it taken uh, uh, for universities to start to wake up uh, uh, to, to the realization that they should not be investing in companies profiting off Israel's occupation? But now dozens and dozens of, uh, of universities uh, and, and student bodies have voted uh, uh, for uh, their university to divest from companies that are profiting off uh, Israeli war crimes. Um, but, but yeah, these things take time. I wouldn't expect it to happen overnight. 
I think there, I mean, you have campaigns now. No Tech for Apartheid is another campaign that just was launched a year or two ago. That campaign will pick up steam. There will be more pressure inside tech companies like Google, uh, uh, like Amazon, to end their complicity in supporting the Israeli military. There will be more pressure, I think, um, on, on United States government officials. We just saw, as you mentioned, the court case in Oakland, California, um, to try and hold Joe Biden, uh, uh, Anthony uh, Blinken uh, responsible. Uh, for their complicity in these uh, in the crime of genocide, and that was, I believe, it, just this morning, it was released that that was uh, uh, rejected owing to ju uh, jurisdiction issues. But the court, but the, but it was a huge victory nonetheless because the judge said, um, "I'm going to take my time to come to a ruling here." There's a real. He said, "This is the most important case I've ever uh, encountered in my entire career as a judge." So I, I very much yeah. think there will be more pressure moving forward, um, not just for, not just within the United States, uh, but in Europe and around the world. I mean, in the Middle East, you have entire populations now calling on their governments to take action. You have in, in places like Yemen, you have the Ansar Allah, uh, known as the Houthis. They are now stopping international shipping until the, we, we see an end to this uh, to these genocidal acts. We have attacks on U.S. military bases in Jordan. We just saw three U.S. soldiers die uh, uh, in the name of defending uh, Israeli apartheid, in the name of, uh, of killing uh, the Palestinian people of Gaza. So I think Americans, I mean, if you ask an average American, do you think American soldiers should die? in order to starve 2 million people in Gaza to death. I would be, I think you'd be very, very hard pressed to find very many Americans who think we should be dying uh, to, to, uh, to support this uh, genocidal war on Gaza. So I don't think, it, it, I do not think this impunity will last forever. And I think moving forward, there'll be a lot more pressure on Israel uh, uh, to, to, uh, and a lot more accountability. Yeah, and 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 I think uh, I think the the normalization of relations uh, in the Arab world, I think that's sort of a, a dead letter uh, at the moment. So I don't see that uh, process resuming uh, anytime soon. So this is, I think, a major. Uh, we're at a major uh, impasse in history, uh, Zachary. This is historic, as you said. This is an important moment, uh, and uh, South Africa, uh, to their credit, uh, being absolutely the right country to step up and do what they did uh, at that time i think it's going to go down in history as a major moment and a major line has been drawn and it's also shifted a lot of power to the the political soft power i think at least to the global south in being part of that conversation of what are the values of the international system uh which the west seem to pontificate a lot about but uh, hardly live up to it when it really comes to the important issues. So it's very interesting how this is playing out. Uh, Zachary, just uh, before we go, we're going to go to break. We appreciate you joining us. Hopefully we can uh, resume this conversation in a longer segment in the future. But uh, give us a shout out where people can follow your work uh, online. So you can find me on X Twitter underscore Zach Foster. I have a newsletter called Palestine in Your Inbox, which you can subscribe to at palestinenexus.com as well. Okay, yeah, follow him on X Twitter. We've got that link again on our show uh, page as well, on our show post, and also he can subscribe to the Palestine Nexus newsletter there. Just go to Zachary's pages and channels. You'll land there. Definitely want to be following his work. Zachary Foster, thank you for joining us on today's News Talk. Thanks so much for having me.
There he goes, ladies and gentlemen, a great uh, resource for information and analysis on this subject. Let's take a break right now with the network. And when we come back, our research assistant for the show, Christian James, we're going to break down a couple of big stories. One of them, of course, is the farmers' protests uh, across Europe and the world now, in fact. And also, the UK councils are going bankrupt. How did that happen? You might not be surprised by the answer. All this and more coming up after the break. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host. Stay there. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The trial of Michael Mann and Mark Stein continues. Actually, it's Michael Mann suing Mark Stein and some other people over comments that he was a fraud. And it's very, very interesting when I look at the facts of this. First of all, Dr. Mann would not allow anyone to see his actual work, which is really kind of strange. For those of you who follow me on Twitter, you see me make a forecast, but always display the reasoning and rationale behind it. Always show people what you are up to. And hey, if it doesn't, it doesn't. If it doesn't, it doesn't. That's the breaks. So you've got to be suspicious of that. Why won't you show your data? Now, as far as Dr. Mann being a Nobel Prize winner, this is from Geer Lundstedt, director of the Nobel Institute. Michael Mann has never been awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. He did not receive any personal certificate. He has taken the diploma awarded in 2007 to the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change and to Al Gore, and has created his own authentic-looking diploma. The text underneath the diploma is entirely his own, and the diploma that the IPCC got has really nothing to do with what Michael Mann got. So what he did was, he got this piece of paper and literally created his own award. Now, I happen to be a volunteer strength and nutrition advisor for the Nittany Lion Wrestling Club here at Penn State. We have a couple of gold medalists. And a couple of those gold medalists I talk to about nutrition and training. Does that make me a gold medalist? If I were to say, hey, I'm a gold medalist in the Olympics, am I a fraud? <laughs> you make the decision. This is TNT climate and weather watchdog meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. I tell my son, I love you every single day. Now my dad has never said that to me. Not because he doesn't love me, but because culturally it wasn't comfortable for him. Now that he's a grandfather, he says, I love you to my son every time he sees him. My advice to all the fathers out there, forget the cultural restrictions. They grow up way too fast for you to waste even a single precious moment. She used to dance and dream of a better life, a brighter future, with nutritious food to eat, a chance to learn, to get an education, do incredible things. Today, thanks to Children International and friends like you, she dances for the world. Together, we give children in poverty a chance to set their sights high and achieve their dreams by ensuring that they have access to health care, education, life skills, and more so they can grow, thrive, and believe in themselves. Gracias. Gracias. Learn more about Children International and join us in our life-changing work at children.org today. Anticipate 
potential delays for the morning commute. In other news, a recent government report on prescription drug pricing points to corporate mouth. Freedom of the press is about your right to know. It's about your right to be informed. Your right to access all types of information keeps us free as a nation. No, 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 no. Today, there are real threats to press freedom. And your right to know about the world around us. Look. Some threats are obvious, some are easy to miss, but they all put our way of life at risk. We must defend against all of these threats, no matter what kind of news is important to you. Justified putting American troops in harm's way. That's a great question. We must protect our right to know before it's too late. Understand the threats. Protectpressfreedom.org. Political commentator and investigative journalist, you're with Patrick Henningsen on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. All right, welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to the program. We're still in hour number two, coming into the final segment here of the final hour of this live broadcast. Thank you to everybody in our TNT chat community. I see you guys in there, been able to interact a little bit uh, over the course of the program. Hopefully uh, you guys will stay with us for the remainder of the show. Brilliant uh, uh, how we're getting the numbers in there and great links, great research, great conversations. You want to be joined our TNT community in the chat bubble there, red bubble, bottom right-hand corner of the screen. If you open up the URL, tntradio.live, you can also enter there from the app, which you can download on Android or Apple, TNT Radio app. That'll keep you connected to us all the time. That's the easiest way actually to listen, uh, but to watch as well and go to YouTube. Some people use the different browsers on the different platforms. I'm watching it right now as we speak on xtwitter.com uh, there. So we're looking at uh, the TNT live feed there. It's reposted at the top of our feed uh, during the program. Uh, let's welcome on to the program, though, uh, our research assistant for the show, Christian James, joining us right now. Christian, thanks. How you doing? You mentioned uh, Apple there um, on the back, just where, where you can get the TNT app. So it's oddly enough today, uh, the BBC posted an interesting article about how Apple is going to um, seek to pull out of the UK with its messaging services because uh, the UK government wants full access to iMessenger and uh, the back channel um, encrypted data networks that Apple uses for its messaging service. And the government and Apple have says, no, the UK are not going to have that. So uh, Apple have taken the decision as this week to actually stop the apps uh, being available in the UK. Wow. Wow. So the Apple messaging Which service... Yeah, go ahead. I just, I just think that um, that unprecedented statement is huge, really. Um, you've seen over the course of the last few weeks, there's been lots of uh, the government is actually using uh, in their own back uh, system, their back channels is using WhatsApp. Um, but of course, they want via their investigative powers uh, act, they, they've updated that and they want access to um, Apple's messaging service. But Apple have said, no, that's not going to happen. So the government has gone, no, yes, you will. And Apple have gone, no, no, okay, that's for it from the end of the month, from the end of February. Um, Apple's messaging services and um, secure back-channel messaging platforms, uh, such as FaceTime, will actually be, be ending in the UK. Wow. So no FaceTime calls in the UK? No. Wow. It might be a case of, the, the, it might be a staggered approach where they might just take um, the ability not to be downloaded anymore or not for calls to be made. But mm -hmm. I, I'm not quite sure how it would practically laid out or planned out but uh, 
I mean, it, it's unprecedented. And that kind of system is now being uh, leveraged against, you know, essentially an American company. That's true. It could be a phased rollout. So in other words, I don't know, it might be possible, Christian, that people who do have the app will still be able to use it. Um, just they yeah, won't be able to. So. Couldn't be put on new devices and things like that, maybe like new downloads and and so forth. So that that might be the the restriction there um so what what about all the international business travelers that go through the city of london christian i mean the uk is an international business hub you know are they i mean how are they going to deal with all the people from the eu the people from asia from africa from from india pakistan i mean uh, it just doesn't make any sense i mean they're saying that they want um it to kind of have lawful access which really is how does it work? Why does it work? And can we have, you know, um, essentially our spy bots troll all that messaging data um, for our intelligence services? Because that essentially is what's going on. Um, the fact that Apple have gone no, you know, it's it's quite uh, remarkable that's gone ahead. I mean, you had like the Snoopish Charter, as it was originally called back in 2016. It's vastly increased since then. Um, you can imagine civil liberties groups are all over it. Um, it'll be interesting to see how all this plays out. But. Yeah, indeed it does. Indeed it does. And Facebook, uh, well, WhatsApp, sorry, WhatsApp is usually compromised uh, on the Israeli side. Uh, and the fact that uh, it's a meta company, Mark Zuckerberg has shown his absolute bias and fealty uh, towards Israel in terms of censorship and issues like this uh, in the uh, wake of the October 7th uh, incident there that's caused this huge uh, crisis in the Middle East. But um, moving on, though, Christian, you've also uh, penned an article at 21stCenturyWire.com, an excellent feature. I encourage people to go read it. I'll drop the link in the TNT chat community. But uh, Christian James, harvesting discontent, the global farmer's revolt. Tell us about this piece, Christian. Yeah, well, thanks to your help, obviously, editing and kind of um, getting it to a level that was really greatly appreciated by the large community out there. I mean... By the by, I mean, everyone is looking at what's happening with the farmers' revolt. But because there's so many different um, levels of nuance and different conversation, different discussions, different points of view going into it, a lot of it has been um, framed just under kind of one boxed heading. When actually there is lots of different issues going on. So I've sought to bring those all together into a comparative narrative about what's being driven, uh, such as the, uh, the EU policies that have come out of the World Economic Forum, certainly out of the uh, United Nations and their kind of agreements that they want to push down from um, to to the governments of all the different countries, certainly in the EU, um, and kind of how the EU's countries within them, certainly um, the nitrate issue in regards to soil damage and environmental security, um, in regards to certainly our future, with future prospects of the, the soil being uh, facing acidification, in uh, regards to the, uh, the environmental implications that if we do not deal with that or get a grip on that, we could potentially be facing something uh, catastrophic, maybe 10, 15 years down the line. So there is an environmental sense that something has to be done. But unfortunately, the, the time being, the way that they're handling it is to certainly in regards to um, the Netherlands, certainly in regards to France, Germany, uh, and many of the countries across the EU is to obviously restrict um, their ability to plant food, plant crops, to reduce their uh, nitrate and their ammonia production. All that has been scaled down. We, we've seen what's happened in Holland where they've said, they want a potentially a 70% reduction in their in their cows, in their livestock. That's certainly the same in Ireland. So what we have is lots of different um, organizations, people's farmers walking together, and they've taken the unprecedented kind of uh, stance to you know, go to their um, 
capital cities go to their major infrastructure hubs and block the roads with their tractors. Lots of um, people have come out, and it, it it so mirrors what happened in the United States, in oh, sorry, in terms of Canada rather, uh, with the discrepancy what happened there with um, the truckers' convoy. It, on perception, it looks very similar. You know, you have mass amounts of people who are discontented against a policy that's happening, being driven down to the people and how they have to deal with their day-to-day life. Many of them are now facing bankruptcy. Their loans are coming in in terms of farmers because for those who aren't aware, most farmers operate uh, in a deficit all year um, to the supermarkets, to big agro and big, big culture. On the back of that, you also have, you know, is there a deliberate action being taken by those powers above, whatever we perceive that they might be, are they driving an agenda basically to strip out the ability for countries and people is to have uh, the ability to make food? And that is the kind of hashtag that is coming with this. You know, it's uh, no farmers, no food. So that is driving the point home because that is such a clear message. If, if we're not planting enough food for the population that we currently have, uh, how will you be able to provide in the future, let alone the nitrate issue and the environmental issue? So I've, I've sought to um, broad stake all those topics in a, a detailed way that people can look at, understand. Um, and even beyond that, there's the, there's the Ukrainian issue. And that issue being is that they, the EU signed an agreement uh, with Ukraine that they can ship their goods um, across to the EU countries uh, without uh, their drivers, without their ability to have um, passes effectively. They, you can, they're not part of the EU, but they have the ability to transport goods and services all the way across, undercutting um, local produce uh, they can't help to compete with. And that's driving an absolute frustration wedge across all the Eastern Bloc countries and all the way across as far as France and, and Ireland. So lots of uh, lots of different topics in there to get your get your mind into and obviously to understand uh, what is truly going on behind this farmers' revolt. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that Ukrainian issue, uh, Christian, too, because that's quite a wedge that's been thrown in there um, by Brussels and completely unnecessarily. But that's a big part of the story. And one wonders, Christian, if. Uh, Russia did not intervene um, in the Donbass in February 2022. If business as usual was to continue, you saw how the Ukraine was kind of a centerpiece of the World Economic Forum's new sort of you know, resilient country with all the sort of the digital bells and whistles, digital currency, etc. It's the first smart country. Uh, they had big plans uh, for Ukraine, and meanwhile, they're they're dumping all of these uh, cheap agricultural products, some of which are substandard, on the European markets and uh, really pissing off the poles, uh, the Germans, the Dutch, and many others as a result. So uh, it's very interesting how the geopolitics comes into play uh, with this farmers uh, issue uh, with the protests. You saw France as well. That's really kicking off as well, Christian. And when the French get involved in protests, you know, it's going to be serious. They're blocking major highways into Paris. But what's interesting, Christian, I may get your comment on this. Um, it, it, the French farmers are much more focused. They're not just blocking the highways to disrupt. They're actually blocking the routes to the big distribution centers. They're trying to hit the supply chain for the big hypermarkets, as they call them, which are like gigantic supermarkets uh, in, in France. So there the farmers have taken this more tactical approach. Um, that's something we haven't seen before, Christian. What are your thoughts on, on that one? Yeah, that's an interesting uh, angle, isn't it? I mean, I've seen the videos and the pictures of where they are basically covering also the train lines as well. 
like you said, stopping the supply chain and making sure that they are known because we are seeing a consistent uh, blacker in the news of this matter. I mean, I've seen an article, uh, an article, a video on the BBC, but also on Sky, which kind of covered almost like it was a page seven of a news thing. Oh, there's some protests happening over there or there's some disruption, but not actually showing the, the breadth and the depth of the issue um, and what is going on with the people and what they are facing. I think the idea of if you were to damage the supply chain, what happens is that more and more people face disconsent within those concentric rings. So as the supply chain comes into centralization and then food gets uh, manufactured or distributed out to the big supermarkets or, uh, or industry as in large, by making that even tighter, you effectively make their voices known and added to the argument. And therefore, that would hopefully generate the news in their parliament or uh, up, up the chains, basically, of a big, uh, big government to say, no, we've got to make a decision now on how we're going to go about this. I mean, perhaps that is the right way to do it, is to make you know, a big stink and to make sure that people know about it. Because perhaps I wonder how many people on the streets do know that this is happening. And that would obviously, there'll be a reflection at the, at the price point, at the shelf edge. Uh, they can see that there's a problem. I mean, you find now um, there was a story in, in the UK, of course, where there was a, a spectacle where they took 49 uh, scarecrows and placed them outside Ted Downing Street uh, of that area to represent that 49% of the UK farmers are looking to leave the industry entirely um, and to walk away from farming entirely, um, which ties into another story I did find out over the last couple of days, and something that is certainly worth mentioning here. Um, I came across the government government.uk website, it says gov.uk. Um, there's an interesting type you can, term you can type in. If you type into that uh, website, how to apply for a lump sum payment to retire from farming. Uh, there's an article that was forwarded to me, or rather a website that was forwarded to me, and I'll see if I can drop in the TNT chat. So basically the UK government from November until May, so this period right now, um, they are willing to buy out whatever farmland you have um, for a, a nice considerable amount of money, actually. It's listed as a breakdown of how much they'll pay you per acre, per hectare, uh, whether it's come down through generational, whether it's bought in. Uh, they will all affect the price, but they are offering a full buyout of any farm um, on farmland, arable land, um, in the UK right now, but only for a six-month period of time. As soon as it hits May, they're not going to be offering that. But presently, it sits at 94000 um, for a, I think it was 48-acre farm, um, mm-hmm. which is considerably large. And it's the government yeah. actually wants to do that. Wow. So the, what, so the lump sum is 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 94000 That's right. Yeah, that, there's, uh, there is extensions to that. That can be times based on uh, whether it was uh, how long you've had it, if, mm-hmm. if it's a generational farm, as if it's been handed down from parents to children, that kind of thing. Uh, that will actually affect the price, but the base holding price uh, for is is ninety four thousand. They will actually buy it out for. I'll see if I can send this article over to you on the back channel, and you can upload it to the TNT channel. Well, you know, from from some people's or you just perspective, type in- yeah, I mean that might be a very small yeah. payment for some people. I mean, if you consider all they put into it over the years, but um, I, I wouldn't put it past the government. They're usually stingy on these sort of things. Um, so it's like, please stop farming. Uh, we want you to do what? I don't know uh, what the what the people they're expecting these people to do after they sort of stop doing. I it, it, so this is again winding down all that European common agricultural policy, your EU subsidies. 
Um, this is also, I think, a direct uh, result of Brexit because the EU provided that big, you know, safety net, as it were, uh, for small to medium-sized farmers um, right across Europe, especially in the UK. Um, very important in the heartland of the UK. And so the Midlands and all these sort of agricultural strongholds, Devon uh, as well, the Lakes District, uh, all these areas famous yeah. for their farming. Um, and Scotland too, to some degree. Um, it's going to have a massive impact, uh, Christian, I think, on not just the farming uh, industry and community, but also the communities that surround the farms, because part of the character of these small villages and towns and the viability really rests on uh, having that industry there. It's been there for hundreds of years, in fact. Uh, so I think uh, I don't think they've thought through the ramifications of this, Christian, but then it's government we're talking about, and they don't normally do that, do they? Or maybe they have, and their vision for the future is very no, different than very different than our vision or the normal person's uh, vision. Schwab's vision of the future is, uh, I don't even want to know what his vision is. I guess it's in his book, Christian. Um, but speaking of small towns, uh, local governments, councils in the UK, how on earth have the councils gone bankrupt in the United Kingdom when they've been raising council tax every year, forever, and to the point where it's almost extortionate? How has this come to pass? So I've been certainly following this now for about six months, and I, I kind of uh, the kind of the way I leaned into this is what ha really happened with uh, Birmingham City Council. So uh, six councils in the UK so far have declared themselves under what they call themselves Section One One Four, which is they they are declaring themselves bankrupt. They have no excess money. Um, they are to end all excess spending, and they can only provide uh, statutory services, which they may at that point also be unable to provide. So I've been following this because I guess my own city council. And that's happened to it. The Nottingham City Council has gone has gone into this um, status now. They've had government investigators in there over the last six months. And um, Nottingham it's, it certainly certainly has some issues, uh, massive kind of um, bills it's had to pay. Um, there was a shopping centre being built that the council paid for. And then all of a sudden, the company who was building it went themselves into administration. So they lost sort of like, um, like £142 million pound out of that. So all the infrastructure on that is gone. Birmingham, there was a massive kind of equality case. Uh, they're having to pay 762 million out um, for uh, misgendering and kind of uh, all those kind of the, the woke narrative uh, won a legal case. Um, so there, there's a massive bill happening over there. But in terms of more local stuff, so 47 councils in the UK replied to a survey and they said that they are facing uh, the same situation within the next two years. So what's happening in certain terms of Nottingham City Council, they now want to merge with the another local council in terms of Derby, which is our next nearest major city. They want the councils now to merge to share debt. So we're now seeing that kind of consolidation between certain areas. Our councils are effectively being led to a position where they are untenable and unsupported by a major government. They're not able to raise the money out of the local council tax. Um, certainly where I am right now, the council tax is being risen by... 5% on all of its kind of categories, adult social care, fire services, police services, council services. I looked at my uh, council tax bill that I got the other day, and every one of those areas was at its highest percentage increase uh, for this year, which is 5.5%. Um, so my council tax bill for where I live is like £1,700. And essentially, I live in an apartment block in the north side of the city. And every that they're raising that money, of course, from everyone. And they can't provide uh, effectively statutory services. It's beyond me that this is actually happening here. 
uh, let alone to potentially 47 other councils that potentially are going to be facing the situation. Um, and they're relying on money, they're saying, out of... Um, so the main crux of what their argument is that they, they are not able to raise the money locally and the government's funding to them has gone down. Uh, the, in terms of the real services, um, they just don't have the money to fund uh, what it is. So they're now looking at selling assets. All the social housing in the city has been sold here um, to private industry and private corporations who are now running it on behalf of the government. The libraries have all been sold here. So what effectively is owned by the local councils has also been stripped out and shared. Um, so much like the NHS. And I think that is just the, the, the plan that appears to be in unfolding here is I think it's meant to just cause chaos and to make councils bend over and bend the knee and broader framework that's happening and is at play here. Okay. Okay. Interesting, interesting development there. Uh, yeah, it looks like uh, we've got a bit of an issue that's on there. Might be. Um, so anyway, um, we, we, we're following that story, Christian, and and as you know, you've been well following it for a long time, uh, and I'm I'm quite amazed that that's even happened um, because and, and you know it's like you get the bill now from the council; it's an itemized bill. It's saying, oh, this is what the police cost. That's what the schools cost. That's for rubbish collection. Um, you know, back before the poll tax or council tax, uh, how how did they possibly fund the police force? I mean, like they changed the structure of everything. So they're getting the the public to fund it directly. So I, I don't know. Uh, people are very skeptical uh, when it comes to some of the excuses that are being made um, by these big institutions. Um, and in the end, it always ends up the same. They come to you asking for even more and you get even less uh, in terms of uh, what you're paying for. But when you say private institutions, Christian, uh, buying up private housing blocks and stuff like that, BlackRock comes to mind these sort of corporations is that who is yes. gaining and is that who's gaining an increased foothold as a result of all this that is something i'm about to go and investigate actually because i see the companies who are now buying them up and they i don't necessarily they know other shell companies they appear to be always be in a in a guise that is uh providing housing for local people very uh, egalitarian style uh small companies buying them up or other corporations buying them up and it'd be interesting to see who's actually steamrolling them and who's bankrolling them. And I think that is a potentially uh, an article worth uh, investigating in the future as a part of a investigative report that I'm going to get my teeth into. Oh, yeah. BlackRock, State Street, Vanguard, uh, these big mega megalithic companies that are just devouring uh, the global pop property portfolio, uh, turning us into a, a, a rentier uh, nation, rentier economies in the West. Um, they won't stop until they have total domination over that sector, uh, of course. And what does that mean? It's probably going to mean that, uh, like Klaus Schwab said famously, uh, or the World Economic Forum, uh, you will own nothing and you will be happy. So you'll subscribe to your housing. You'll pay your subscription to housing. And if the subscription gets cut off, well, tough luck. Uh, on the road you go. Uh, Christian James, thank you for joining us this week at TNT, Today's News Talk. Great stories. Appreciate your contribution. Uh, thank you very much, Patrick. I'll speak to you again soon. There it goes, ladies and gentlemen. That's Christian James, research assistant for the show. Three really important stories highlighted there. Again, we dropped a link to Christian's featured article, Harvesting Discontent, the Global Farmers Revolt. That's in the TNT chat community. Big thank you to Zachary Foster joining us in the second hour. And, of course, uh, David Miller in the first hour. 
all great conversations, a lot of great insights today. This has been a powerful program. Thank you guys for tuning in, whether you're listening or watching to TNT Today's News Talk. I'm Patrick Henningsen, your host, signing out. We'll see you tomorrow on Friday for the big week ending blowout. Be there or be nowhere. Take care, you guys. All the best.